Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We're on a collision course for the national championship and only variable is time. Because the train is rolling, so anybody out there, I can't tell you what's going to happen right now, but it's coming. Get on board, but get out the way. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince McCoco. We are back week two of the 2022 season in recap series here as we look back on what uh, 2022 held for the Louisville football program. Jacob Lane, Vincent LaCoco, Matt McGavick. How we doing, gentlemen? Doing pretty good. It's a little bit of a cheerier episode as as it, uh, talking about a, a more successful side of the ball. Yeah, for sure. Vince, you doing all right, man? Oh, I'm, I'm great. Enjoying we, this uh, beautiful, beautiful weather outside of just rain, mm-hmm. sorrow, and cold. It sucks. No, it, it sucks. sucks. It's it's truly uh, a miserable time of year. I say that though, and I've got the NFL playoffs over my shoulder. Been watching college basketball all day. It's been. But what we are here to do tonight is to talk about uh, the other side of the ball for Louisville. And that's the defense. We talked about the offense last week with Keith Tobridge, former Louisville football tight end. Tonight. Our good friends, number one recurring guest, Keith Wynn, will join us for his eighth or ninth or ten appearance, somewhere along those lines. And then Dave Skull drops back by, and he'll join us uh, with Keith Wynn. I always love pairing Keith with uh, different entertaining personalities. We've obviously done that for years with with Cameron Teague of the Courier-Journal, Matt. But this year we're bringing on uh, Biggest Biscuit to, to join us. And there's a lot to get into for the defense because – uh, the defense obviously has been the number one storyline under Scott Satterfield. I mean, it almost cost him his job in 2021. Um, and this year, you know, it's kind of that uh, just just be patient, keep waiting type of thing. And we finally saw, uh, you know, if you if you if you continue to to plant and to harvest, you're going to reap good things. And that's what they did with this defense. And it starts with Mark Ivey, who Matt. You wanted fired a year ago. Uh, I did. So I, I wanted, like you got to eat your crow, I, man. No, yeah, I wanted both him and Stu Hold fired. Well, Stu ended up leaving on his own volition, and I, I like you said, I'm I'm eating crow because I said I did not think Mark Ivy warranted remaining on the staff because for those first three years the defensive line was just close to a non-factor and then the defensive line goes out and is arguably one of the best units on the entire team so you know he he deserves props and i deserve crow <laughs> yeah and, and we're going to break down a lot of the storylines the position groups we're going to hand out position grades again as we did last week um, and then just obviously what does that mean for 2023 the offense changing a lot obviously no malik cunningham returning jack Plummer and pierce clarkson kind of the next era at quarterback 
but the defense is really hit hard by graduation, NFL declarations, transfer portal, uh, including today, just hours ago, Monty Montgomery entering the porter for Louisville. So we'll talk about that tonight, and we'll talk about what that means and why all caps gives me some 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 qualms about what happened. Man. Portal! <laughs> portal. Um, <laughs> but the defense, obviously, a lot to be excited about. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about all that tonight on From the Pink Seats podcast. We're going to continue this series for the next couple of weeks. We're excited to be joined uh, by some former players potentially some coaches over the next couple of weeks as we continue to look back uh, and then of course look forward to what that means for 2023 so we thank you guys so much for tuning in here in your off season i know your time is valuable basketball is not as fun as we expected it to be not a lot of good things happening outside of the louisville women's basketball program so we thank you guys for choosing to spend your time here with us listening to football because there is a, a million and one reasons to be excited for next year but before we can officially as matt says turn the page on the week before i, I every time matt tweets that I literally picture him in his this like fancy sweater with a pipe in his mouth, <laughs> turning the page and closing the book. Maynard's Every week I'm like right on his lap, <laughs> right next to him. He's stroking Maynard's head. He's like, I'm going to officially close the book. But we're going to close the book on 2022 by looking at the, the team from a full perspective. And um, it's exciting knowing they won eight games and the defense played well. Um but obviously, Thank I love that phrase. I love it too. I'm, I'm, I say that because I genuinely every week you tweet that I laughed. I loved it. It's I picture I, we need to take a picture of one Matt closing the book that he can make into a graphic to share out each week. Like Burr's put time, me, birthday time. Yes. Pictures. Put me in a smoking jacket, legs crossed up by the yeah. fireplace. I'm going to just take the picture of Vince Tyra a few years ago. Vince Tyra, I should say. With the, <laughs> put Matt McGavick's head on it. <laughs> that is Matt closing the page each oh, week. No. Season. Oh man. Well, we've got a lot to get into. We thank you guys again for tuning in. Subscribe anywhere you get your shows, rate and review from the Pink Seats Podcast. Uh, and of course, follow us on Twitter at Pink Seats Pod. Uh, give us a follow at the at the state of Lou at U of L Report. Uh, and of course at Matt underscore McGavick at Vincent Lococo at Jacob Lane08. Check out stateofLouisville.com in the Louisville Report of Sports Illustrated. And after all of that, now it is officially time to bring in our good friends, Dave Skull and Keith Wynn, to talk about the defense. All right, excited to talk about the defense from the 2022 season for the first time in show history. I don't think we've ever had this much excitement talking about defense, um, and we've got a great group of fellas to do that here. Obviously, as I mentioned in the intro, Vincent LaCoco, Matt McGavick are here, but we're joined by Keith Wynn of Card Chronicle. Uh, Dave Skull, Mr. Biscuit joins us, of course, of, uh, of 93.9 ESPN Louisville. How are you, my guys? It's great to have you all on the show together. This is like, I think the, the audience is going to be excited about this pairing more so than maybe any in show history, including us. <laughs> it's going to be a lot well, of football love, nerd dude. speak. And I love it. <laughs> I love, I love talking football with, with Keith Wynn, man. We, uh, we go down the nerd, the nerd rabbit hole every time we do. So it's, uh, I'll forgive people. I'll, I'll, I'll apologize. I should say in advance. Uh, but this is what people tune into this podcast for, isn't it? That's right. They come oh, here yeah. for the, for the nerdiness breakdowns of everything that on radio would be, 
bad radio. You know, you can't you can't dive into <laughs> snaps per per player per missed tackle and all the things that we're going to do tonight. But uh, we're excited to keep it moving along here on the series where we're going back and looking at uh, the 2022 season and telling the story uh, of how the season uh, kind of finished there. Uh, and, and obviously, it's a tale of of two different seasons, really. And we're going to get into that tonight on the defense. That is not. Um, I don't think that's clear. That is uh, as evident anywhere else on Louisville's football team than it was with the defense. It's almost like, uh, you know, BC post BC pre BC when you're talking about this, this defense overall, uh, but we're going to dive into some statistics that tell the story. We're going to obviously talk about some of the key storylines and then give out position grades, just like we did last week. How would you guys kind of walk away from the season um, what did you kind of take away from the defense? Obviously, you know, things changed after the season pretty quickly with Satterfield leaving and it, it's going to be, you know, you kind of toss it all out compared to, you know, years past where you've had, you know, to the same coaches here. Um, and this year it's obviously going to be new guys, but what did you all think of just the overall performance? Um, I, I would imagine you were as, as excited as all of us were. I mean, it's hard not to come away. And Matt, I didn't like... ask you. I they, I know your opinion. I know your opinion on the defense. I'm sorry, Matt. That was not for you. Sorry, I'll fuck off now. <laughs> yeah, he was waiting on that. That's why. Oh, I appreciate you all treating Matt exactly how we treat Matt. That's great. <laughs> Shut up, Matt. Uh, anyways, you, you guys, the floor is yours, Matt. Oh, I'm gonna put so you on I mean, here. I, care I guess I'll, I guess I'll jump in. Um, you know, obviously, it was kind of like the culmination of where we saw, kind of you know that big jump. We saw the defense kind of trending at least a little bit better each year, but still never really getting to where they needed to be. I think we finally got to see, you know, the defense total kind of get the total package going, get all three levels playing at a, at a good level, and we saw what the defense kind of that 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 potential, maybe even probably the ceiling of where it could have gotten to um, even in the future. Um, and I think that was the thing. It was, it was fun. You know, this is, this was a fun defense to watch. Um, you know, there were frustrating times at, at certain moments, but you watch any team in the country. I mean, they're going to be frustrating moments, but I think that it was a fun defense to watch a lot of havoc, a lot of turnovers, a lot of big plays. Um, and that's the one thing I think the biggest takeaway for me was just how, you know, entertaining it was to watch this defense this season. Yeah, so I'll talk about before Boss College and don't refer to it. I figured this out really quickly as BBC. Okay, we're not going to do that. <laughs> People take it the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> so we'll say. Is that the show um, name, Jacob? Yeah. Can right. you say BBC on the radio? That's the I, I said it. I said it and like immediately. I think somebody texted into the text line right after. I said BBC, and I, I I was like silent for a second because I realized in my head I was like, oh no, oh no, that's people are definitely gonna, and they just like got like five or six texts in a row. They're like, yeah, BBC, good job. Was this Pornhub Radio? Uh, but uh, straight to the mixtape. That's right. Uh, so basically, I think we all agree there were there were stretches in those first five games of the year, in pretty much every single game, and Boston College is almost an exception, but even then that the defense played well for several possessions in a row, you know, like there was long scoreless streak. Obviously the UCF game was a good performance front to back, but there was, I think seven straight possessions in the Syracuse game where we held them scoreless. Um, and the, the defense held serve for a while and the offense just did nothing, you know, and that happened several times in the early season. So even with overall, like a, the Florida State game, the second half was was a disappointment, but there were stretches in the first half that the defense played well. 
uh, every single game, even the, the losses, they had stretches where they played well and you felt like if they could just put it together, this could be so it could have something, right? And after the Boston College game, we kind of found our stride and had that four-game winning streak and we got to see what this defense could look like firing on all cylinders. And I think uh, a couple of the, the returnees kind of hitting their stride post-injury finally with Monty improving as the year went on, Keytrail Clark playing more like his old self as the year went on, uh, and the rotation sort of um, kind of uh, gelling as the year went on, and then guys like MJ Griffin and Quincy Riley taking bigger roles, I think, uh, spurred this defense. And, and eventually that defensive line, like we talked about, the last couple of years, if we could just get that defensive line to play like they needed to play, we might see this this defense work, you know, the way it's supposed to work. And we thought it would be maybe Jermaine Lole that made that that transition happen. And of course, he got hurt in the first game. But it was awesome to see sort of a defensive line depth develop and in this pressure defense become what we thought it could be statistically and what would be his uh, swan song as the Louisville defensive coordinator, Brian Brown's defense was one of the best in the country. I mean, when you look at it from top to bottom in total defense, they finished 24th. They were first in the country in team sacks, uh, eighth in team tackles for loss tied for second in turnovers force. They finished 11th in red zone defensive percentage. They only gave up 11 or excuse me. They only gave up uh, 21 touchdowns in the red zone this season um, total, which again is 11th overall when you look at that statistic from a total standpoint, including field goals. But, um, and then on third down, they are 21st in the country in percentage and fourth down, they're number one in the country in percentage. So you talk about a group that finally, like you said, Biscuit, they clicked um, and they're spurred on by by the leaders at the top and Yasir Abdullah with nine and a half sacks. Momo Sonogo with 89 tackles to lead the team. Yasir Abdullah leads with 15 and a half tackles for loss. Uh, and then Quincy Riley with three interceptions um, leads the way there. And, uh, this defense at times, you know, they looks like if you put them on the field in Alabama jerseys, you wouldn't you wouldn't have any questions. And I know that sounds kind of silly to say, considering that we've seen, you know, all the years that Vince LaCocco was there, defenses just get, you know, essentially lit up week in and week out. And it was your offense that was having to to care. That's uh, not his fault. Doing Bobby his didn't practice defense. Everybody knows. No, that. we of course Everybody we know that. that. Right. So right. Our practice was scripted. You, as as we all know that if you score more points, you win in the game of football, and that's that was that's been the philosophy in a lot of ways over the last few years. But this defense really brought it all together. Uh, they, you know, obviously there were still struggles, and we're going to get into some of that. Um, I've got some statistics that were very interesting that kind of tell where this defense's weakness really were. Um, and where their strengths were. And let's start with the defensive line. We'll start with this position group overall. Obviously, I mentioned uh, the sacks, 50 sacks on the season for the, def uh, for the defense, 24 coming from the defensive line. That is a record under Scott Satterfield and Brian Brown here at Louisville. The defensive line absolutely cooked this year, and that does not include in, in these numbers Yasir Abdullah. That is Yaya Diaby, that's Ashton Gelati, that's Des Tell, Jared Dawson, Mason Riger. These guys really stepped up as a pass unit, a pass rushing unit, and and they were able to do a lot of things. Keith, Biscuit, Matt, anyone here jump in who who uh, Vince included? Anyone that would say, what was it to your eyes that was different about this group than the last three? Because it's a lot of the same players. I mean, I know there were, like Biscuit mentioned, you have the injections of guys like Quincy Riley. Uh, and Lole obviously didn't have the impact, but you have a Sunogo. But um, 
what what was different to the to the the person that looks at this and, and is trying to figure it out? What was it that made everything click for all these big statistical numbers? I think it's execution. I mean, I've been I've been screaming the word for a while, but you know, guys did their jobs, and and I think if, you know really where they were better uh, than the previous years was right in the middle. I think that uh, Destel and uh, Jared Dawson specifically made a lot of those plays that you don't see on the stat sheet. You know, uh, you know, I, I always think back to this play. I can't remember what game it was in. Might have been the pick game. Uh, where your Sierra Bula made this great tackle for loss, you know, stop the running back for, for you know, stop and, and force the punt. You go and you watch the play, and Jared Dawson, you know, blows the center up into the running back's lap, stops his feet, has a change direction, and your Sierra Bula is there to make the play. But Jared Dawson makes that play. You know, like, he is the guy that, that that you know, um, you know, causes the disruption and when you look at what they did well this year, they were disruptive. And for, for three years, we were just kind of hoping to see that. And you go back to the App State days, and, you know, I, I went back and read some of the posts that I, I wrote about their defense, and it was all about disruption. You know, Mike Juan Stout, their, their stud defensive tackle, who would only get 15, 20 tackles a season, was also the guy just blowing up, you know, offensive pass, pass or, or sorry, uh, blocking schemes. And letting the other guys make plays, and I think that the execution was was there this year on the defensive line. You look at guys like Mason Rager, who finished the season with seven tackles for loss as a backup. I mean, those those guys were so disruptive. They made a lot of plays, you know. And I think that that was just guys doing their job, guys getting to where they're supposed to be, and guys just playing a little bit more disruptive than we saw. And it and it you know, culminated in everyone else having a better year because those guys did their job up front. I actually brought up uh, Jared Dawson because, like, just kind of combing through some stats earlier, like, if I were to ask you guys who the highest-rated defender on this team, not named Yastir Abdullah was, like, a lot of guys, you guys probably would think maybe Monty, Momo, like, another one of those guys who create a lot of havoc plays, but just looking at PFF, their second highest rated like regular starter for Louisville, like on the defensive side of the ball, was Jared Dawson. It's like he he, like you said, Keith, did a lot of things where it doesn't show up in the stat sheet, where he is able to create the havoc that allows others to be able to just swoop in and maybe kind of like steal not steal his thunder per se, but Make be able play. to throw, make the play exactly. Yeah. You need like a, a hockey assist in football, right? Jared Dawson should get a hockey assist for blocking the center back enough for Yasir Abdullah to, to sneak around and get a sack. See, that's the life of a nose tackle in any three four though, and most interior defensive linemen. Like it, it that I, I and I, I agree with everything that was said. It felt like more so this year, and obviously you can point to probably strength and conditioning because everybody on the line looked bigger than they did last year, and they played bigger than they did last year, but. I never saw guys thinking, if that makes any sense. Like I saw them just playing, you know, and and they knew where they were supposed to be. They had confidence in their ability to do it. And Keith and Matt are absolutely right. The interior defensive lineman, I was worried when Lole went down early because I assumed we all did that he was going to be the guy, you know, maybe the guy that unlocks this defense and makes it possible for everybody else to do their job. And what we got instead was a couple of guys that were already on the roster really step up with Destel and, and Jared Dawson and a few others 
to create the type of space and to create the disruption uh, to allow everybody else to operate. And what I, it turned into by the end of the year was when, and I know Keith and I have kind of fought this battle all year on the same side is um, <laughs> people kept talking about blitzes and the lack of blitzing and yeah, they need to blitz more. And it's like, look, the reason why this defense is working is because on non-blitzing downs, the pressure is getting home, you know, and it makes blitzes that much more effective when we do bring them. So how many times did we see this year Yasir gets home or Momo gets home or Yaya gets home? They're not the only ones there. There's usually one or two other defenders in the vicinity too because everybody's winning their one-on-ones, almost everybody. It happens so many times, and obviously the Cincinnati game is – like an intense example. You can look at the third quarter of the Wake Forest game too, but Cincinnati was a special situation with the partial coaching staffs and everything, but that's what it it felt like a concentrated, like a, like a balsamic reduction of what we were doing for the last seven games. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was just every time you turn around, there was four dudes in the backfield and the play that uh, the quarterback, I forget who played quarterback for Cincinnati. It's already, it's been too long, but he turned around and trying to get away from pressure and Yasir was just in his face and blew him up. It was just so indicative of how this defense has been over the last seven games of the year where it wasn't just one guy getting loose and making a play. It was everybody winning their battles and the pressure getting home every single time it felt like we brought it. But that's because it's a byproduct of them winning the individual battles on every single down, not just the blitzing downs. Yeah, and outside of Syracuse with Garrett Schrader early on, I felt like this defense became a group that was able to take football teams that were limited in what they could do offensively and expose them. Louisville did a great job with that. If you think about uh, now, they really forced James Madison and more so was that because of injury to the quarterback, but they forced them to just be a completely different team than that, what they were from a game planning standpoint. We saw that in parts of the game in Wake Forest with uh, NC state Cincinnati is another great example where running quarterbacks just got bottled up and, and they really became a one dimensional football team. Uh, Vince from a, play calling standpoint did you see anything differently or anything that stood out this year uh, that Brighton Brown did that necessarily highlighted the defensive line it felt like well it didn't really highlight the d-line but it plays hand in hand together where it felt like to me we had uh, a lot more mugged up linebackers linebackers you know filling the a b uh, c gaps whatever you want to call them uh, pre-snap and uh, like Biscuit was talking about a lot of times we got home just bringing our normal pressure. And I think a lot of that had to do, had to uh, do with coach Brown uh, deciding for those guys to be mugged up a little bit more. So uh, D linemen were able to get that first step easier and, uh, you know, confuse the offensive line a lot more. Uh, Uh, When you're thinking about those linebackers when they're front of mind like that, I mean, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So so piggyback on that, I think one of the things that we saw is that their run defense is a little bit, was a lot better except for the games when it was bad, you know, like the Boston college game. was really It was either, it was so, it was so much better, but then it was like, Oh my God, it's like, this is just like, this is like back to like first year stuff where, you know, their run fits were bad. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the things in, in the UCF game, I, I remember that was a game that really stood out to me early in the game. They had just really bad run fits. Linebackers just weren't where they were supposed to be. 
And I think one of the changes was that they started they did they start mugging up those linebackers and just putting them in the in the gaps. You know, instead of just instead of giving the lineman an opportunity to get to you, take it to them. And I think that was one thing that really stood out. But to go back to some of the things on the defensive line, real quick, a lot of third year guys, guys getting to that third year and they're they're starting to learn everything. It's becoming easier. We and Biscuit talks about seeing guys not have to think. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you know what you're doing. Um, and, and and everyone is on the same page. When they rotated, they're rotating three, four guys on the defensive line this year, like it was nothing. And I think that was because they had some veteran guys in there that knew what they were doing now. And, you know, your third year, you're a vet. I think that really helped those guys take that step forward. And once you had that core group of guys that they worked with, I think that helped them um, kind, of, kind of turn that corner, so to speak. And I think a lot of credit specifically has to go to D-line coach Mark Ivey. And that's someone that I know on this show, I I was super critical of this, this time last year because, I mean, for the first three years, I mean, we got so little production, so little impact from the defensive line as a whole. Now, they were good individual parts, sure. But, like, as a whole, you couldn't really rely on the on the defensive line to – contribute anything relatively meaningful and then all of a sudden like you said Keith a lot of those guys are have a little or a little longer in the tooth have a lot more experience and then it all came together so I really enjoyed seeing you know throughout the season starting as early as South Florida the mix of younger guys Tafik Thomas played a lot and by the end of the season they burned through that red shirt pretty quickly Selah Brown was another one that played in a lot of games um, you know, they they were what we expected. The offensive line has been talked about as this group for years that it was going to be so deep that you could go, you could just, you know, five in, five out. And that's what it was really for the defensive line this year. And it was really, really exciting to see. Um, and when you look at football outsiders, you know, they've got a lot of advanced metrics. But one of the ones that I always like to look at from uh, a disruptive standpoint is busted drive rate. And Louisville finished 26 in the country this year, um, according to football outsiders. That's really good. Um, and it could have been even better. I mean, if you, you talk about low is healthy um you know some of the the linebacking the linebacker and safeties uh, we'll get into that here in a second i think we're a lot of where the breakdowns were at on big plays this year but if you get the defensive line like everybody else playing like the defensive line did this defense is even i mean it's crazy they could have even been better um than what they were and that you know that the, the the margin was so slim between the eight wins they they had and the potential 10 sitting right in front of them i thought the thing that you know, really separated the D line as well. Jacob was their effort. I mean, that they had the best effort out of anybody on the entire team. Defensive line every single time. You could have watched Mason Riger uh, every single game and pointed out at least four, five times where he is chasing the ball down the field on these big plays. Uh, same goes with Desmond Tell and Jared Dawson because they wouldn't be playing if that wasn't the case. Mark Ivy wouldn't have played those kids. Mm-hmm. So just being able to see that, and uh, I assume that's probably some, a little bit of an intimidation factor to an offensive lineman as well. I mean, even though there might have been a long run right here, I mean, the guy's still chasing after the play. He's not giving up. You know you're going to be in a dogfight the whole rest of the night. Yeah, this guy's not going to quit. I mean, that's I think that was the most – the pleasant, the like unexpected surprise this year was the depth on the defensive line. I mean, we had seven different players record a sack yep. on that front. If I told you that preseason, would you believe that? With the, I mean, and especially if I told you Jermaine Lole wasn't one of those guys. 
No. I, think that's I, would not, I definitely wouldn't. I remember last year, I can't remember the stat on the top of my head, but I think Aston Gelati and Yaya Diaby or Aston alone had like had had as many sacks in his freshman year as like the entire defensive line the year before or something something <laughs> yeah. along those lines. Yeah, I, I remember that, that, that. I was like, this is this is bad. They own it. You know, I'll eat crow on my on my displeasure with Mark Ivey's tenure early on. I mean, same. I'll Saying, same. I'll say the same thing. Yeah, I, I didn't think that he was doing the, the job wasn't getting done on the field. And I think that off the field, I think guys liked him. I think the the hype hype man stuff was great. All that's great, but the results are the results, right? And the results were bad. And you know, this year, you know, you, you can go down to having guys like Caleb Banks, who I think we all know is gonna be has the potential to be a great player, couldn't really crack that rotation as much as he wanted to, you know. So you know, that was the stuff that you kind of look back on. And it's like, man, these guys at the top of the list, a couple walk-ons, former walk-ons and Riger and Perrier were, were able to hold off these younger guys who we saw that potential with because of that effort and also because they, they got the results done, man. And I thought that was really, again, one of those fun and exciting parts of the season was seeing those guys play so well. Yeah, who thought Mark Ivey would go from, like, probably the assistant coach that caught the most flack, like positional coach that caught the most flack from – People like us to, we have to find a way to retain him on Bromstein. There were two coaches that that people were starting to catch on to, and those were Stu Holt and Mark Ivy, and we see yeah. how those situations went completely yep. opposite of each other. Uh-huh. Uh, but kudos to Ivy, man, he stuck it out. Um, you know, coaches in the bowl game, and look at it now. You know, you get this leftover piece of Sat Staff and Mark Ivy that everyone was the just best leftover piece. I, oh, it's the best. <laughs> right. I had to, I've the been around them better. more than anybody, and if I had to yeah. pick one person to pick, it'd be Ivy ten times out of ten. See, I, mean, I love hearing that. From, he's from somebody just somebody who man. actually played with him. He, he's or just coached with him. I mean, I mean, yeah, you'd run through a brick wall for the man at any moment in time. He's just. He's Absolutely. A dude. He's a and dude. The, the term leftovers implies that it's unwanted. I don't know how you all feel about you leftovers. Know things that are I think there's left some good day after chili. There's yeah, leftovers. there's some <laughs> food that's good as leftovers, and there's some that's not good as leftovers. Mark Ivy is, you know, I, I can't what what's a good leftover food? Like a, I feel like a mac and cheese is always solid the second Ch- time. Chili's 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 good, yeah, insane. for sure. Unless it's, or any kind of like a stew that's sits there overnight, <laughs> you know. So Mark Ivy's a chili. And then, yeah. like a leftover coach that you don't want is like a sushi. There you go. <laughs> it's uh, after that piece of hard candy that sits at your grandma's all the time. That just won't go away. It's, it's still just as good. It's still just as good in year one as it is right. in year exactly. sixty. Exactly. Good, right. right. good every. He's also fun fact. He's the only U of L assistant coach to hit a home run against the gas bags. All right, and he hit That's one a, like 400 uh, feet against us. And who is the who was the pitcher here? That's uh, the Benji the mower man. Mm. If you're familiar with the callers, at 93.9. So, yeah, he absolutely crushed one. I was like, Jesus Christ, Mark! It, it, and I, I realized who he was. I don't know if you knew I, if I knew who he was. And he was like, oh, I haven't hit one in like 20 years. Like, you know, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> so All when four you arms that dude, when you look at this group and and relating it back to 2023, we'll we'll talk about this real quick and then hand out our grades and move along. But when you look at this group. In 2023, you bring back kind of your focal point of this defense. I mean, they lose so much defensively, but Ashton Gelati comes back um, and he is your, you know, your starting defensive end day one comes back with seven sacks. Um, Lole is wasn't celebrated on senior day. We don't know what I have not seen any type of announcement, any type of news. 
any type of anything to know, but he is on the roster uh, last time I checked. So we're going to continue to move forward with kind of like we were with D Wiggins until he transferred that he is on the team. Um, and then obviously you get Des tell Jared Dawson, some of these younger guys that, you, you know, the Salem Browns, the Victone Browns, you, you know, a lot of these pieces that haven't seen the field yet. Do you guys feel comfortable that this group can kind of springboard themselves from the momentum of 2021 uh, or 2022, excuse me, into 2023 and beyond, assuming that Mark Ivy is either coaching the defensive ends, the defensive tackle. I mean, I'm not sure what the, the divvy of duties is going to be there. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have, there. Yeah. Mark Ivy will be helping in some form or fashion. And I would have to, imagine that's Go up on news. game day smash a two by four over your head and then, you know, call it a day <laughs> that's just his only job man <laughs> I, mean, I think you know i think it's hard to know it's hard to judge anything i'll, I'll try to judge without looking at what the scheme is going to be because i still don't think we any of us truly know what they're going to be running next year i think we we assume but you know i think from a talent standpoint a depth standpoint i think they're in really good shape you know you you know they're they're probably going to run if they run that four-man line or that three and a stand up in kind of thing. You're going to run two defensive tackles. So whether Lole is back or not, they still have solid, but not great depth there, at least at the top. If Lole is back, you've got a nice core of four guys, which to defeat Thomas is going to be taking that next step forward. Um, you know, you got a nice core of four guys in your ends. You've got, you know, Riger coming back. You've got Gelati coming back. Those young guys are still yet to be seen. I think the stand up defensive end spot, you know, obviously you're bringing in Steven Heron, who who should be able to take that spot and run with it because it's the exact same spot he played at Stanford. But you have Cam Wilson, Papa Williams. I would assume Raheem Craig is probably an option to go to that side and, and make that move to being that, that rush in because that's what he's good at. Um, you've got young pieces that I think, you know, from what we saw, even in flashes of these guys and small moments, some of these guys only played 30 snaps last year still came away with a couple tackles for loss. If they can kind of keep that momentum, and, and I think they've shown that they at least have some – have the talent and have the skill, uh, I think it's all about, you know, whether or not things keep progressing from a strength and conditioning standpoint, all that stuff like that. And then, and like I said earlier, guys going to – just getting older. You know, that's going to be a huge plus for them. You've got some truly veteran players now uh, that have been here in the system for – or at least been here on campus for a while. I think, you know, I think they could definitely keep it going. Uh, but losing a guy like Yaya Diaby with the season he had, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. But I think they have as a group, as a whole, they're bringing back a lot of guys that should be able to make an impact. Let's do some position grades here. I'm going to go first, and we'll do this quickly. I'm going to go with an A, and the only reason it's not an A-plus is because there was two stinkers in BC and James Madison. Everything else was an A-plus all the way around from the defensive line. So I want to make sure I clarify here from the defensive line. We are not going to include Yasir Abdullah in this conversation. I, I know we've we've kind of talked about semantics and how this plays out in years past, but Yasir Abdullah will, will fall into the linebackers or else defensive line is like an A++++++. Like there is no grade for them. Uh, but I'm going to go just a flat A. I'm, I'm going to go with an A- minus and for the reason that you specified earlier, that if had it not been for the BC and – the James Madison game and even the James Madison game, they, they weren't completely terrible. They, they just, they didn't utilize as many like exotic blitzes or stunts or things like that. They just kind of relied more so on just straight one-on-one battles, which sometimes well, they works, never passed sometimes. the ball in that game. So exactly. To, right. They, they took like nine attempts. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point, but no, I'm, I'm going to go with the a minus. I'm going with the A. I mean, just for all the reasons that you all stated right there. I mean, D-line played great this year. So, 
I uh, I'll stick with an A. I was going in between A and A minus, and I don't want to agree with Matt. So uh, <laughs> I'm just yeah. Kidding. I, I've already cut I, you off hard, once it's hard tonight. To argue with the results, I think between the defensive linemen, they had something like 24 sacks this year. It was somewhere around there. I, I you know, I can't argue with that. They were they were, they were solid all year long. Of course, like you said, they had a couple of games where they were still gelling early in the season, but even late, you know, the games we got beat, Clemson and UK, the defense and the defensive line played well enough to win those games. That wasn't that wasn't a coming on the defense. That was an offensive issue. Um, I give them an A, a solid A. I'll go with an A as well. I think the, the BC game was, was so bad. Like the James Madison game didn't bother me because yeah. James Madison wasn't trying to win that game, uh, right. especially after <laughs> early on. But I think the BC game, I mean, that was that was so – it was so – disappointing i guess because even up until that point i was like the defensive line is why this defense is playing better and even after that point i went like, the defensive line is why the why the defense is playing better and it was like man this is i don't want to put it all on them but man i think they had three total tackles as an entire defensive line in the bc game i mean a, a, a defensive line that was averaging like three tackles for loss a game only had three tackles as a group so you know i just think they they just played poorly they got pushed around in that game and and that's the reason well, I can't give them an A plus because outside of that, you know, I think they played out of this world. Especially adjusted for expectations, you know. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. and, and, and and adjusting for the teams they're playing. The other teams they're yeah. playing are very good, and they still yep. play really well against them. You know. Let's look at the linebackers. This was an interesting season for them uh, because you bring in a fresh face. It's been a you know a pair of linebackers over the years of Dorian Etheridge and C.J. Avery, and then C.J. Avery into Monty Montgomery, and now you know Debo Jones steps in. But Momo Sanogo comes in from Ole Miss. Uh, wasn't a player who had a great year the year prior, but obviously makes a huge impact for Louisville. Leads the team in tackles. Monty Montgomery takes a couple of weeks to get back into kind of his true form. Um, and obviously we see what he did leading the team in forced fumbles uh, and, uh, you know, was all over the field. I mean, he had some incredible plays. There were games, I think it was the Wake Forest games, where it looked like every player he hit, I don't know if you all watched the show Robin Big, but there was this scene where Big let Rob run at him with a medicine ball in his stomach <laughs> and then sent him flying across the room. That's what Monty Montgomery sacked people like. He was a, it was like, he, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen from a linebacker, but they the were fun to watch. Big. That's that's right. That's right, man. Love that um, show. And, and as far as Louisville, Monty Montgomery's career at Louisville, rest in peace, because we, we saw today that he entered the portal um, and is going to be moving on. So that's an unfortunate yeah, thing. Jacob, after... nice, uh, nice little segue there, by the way. I just want to stop everything and, and recognize that that professional radio <laughs> podcast segue that you just dropped on the audience. <laughs> Speaking of rest in peace, like what a lie. <laughs> you know what else is dead? <laughs> I mean I thought I did my I thought I did a good job there. If I could have, I would have been patting myself on the back in the middle it was of that incredible. If I look, That's a Blankenbaker into a read for Goomer and Company, is what that was right there, man. Uh, but <laughs> overall for the linebackers, uh, they play really well. And then you add in Yasir Abdullah, and you're talking about the biggest snub in college football of any award was the fact that Yasir Abdullah did not win the ACC Defensive Player of the Year after he leads the, the league in sacks. I, um, obviously, he leads the team in tackles for loss with 15 and a half. 
He had um, two interceptions, but really had three because he had one called back in the Pittsburgh game um, and then had fumble recoveries, forced fumbles. I mean, he did literally everything. Um, and so when you look at the linebackers in totality, the only thing that you can knock them for is missed tackles and misreads. Those are the only things. And that's what hurt this defense more than anything, in my opinion, in 2023, were misreads and missed tackles. Now, it wasn't just the linebackers. Again, we'll talk about the secondary and their role in that. But overall, um, how could you not be more than ecstatic from what you got from Yasir Abdullah? The guy's going to parlay that into making millions of dollars in the NFL. The thing that uh, I noticed just changing from year to year, just outside Yasir Abdullah on the inside linebackers is guys like CJ and Dorian seeming a little bit more uh, passive where it's taking them longer to uh, read a hole or to shoot that gap uh, and maybe cause for them to uh, turn a what could be a two-yard TFL into a one-yard game because they're just taking a little bit too long. And I think that played a little bit of a factor into us uh, missing tackles this year was guys like Dorian Jones and Momo and Monty either over pursuing or under pursuing and just seeing a gap and going. And although I do like that and a linebacker, it, you know, can bite you in the ass a lot of times. Well, you always said they just had, they had trouble seeing it, you know, like it just seems like, you know, they, they were looking for the, they're looking to see where the play was developing, looking to see where the ball was going. And that, that half second to a second, just by, by bit them all the time. And, yeah, you know, I, th- I think that's you know part of that adjustment when you know when when Brian Brown started walking those guys up to the line a lot more, it really helped with that. I thought, um, but I think that you know one thing I'll say about Yasir Abdullah, I tweeted a lot, I've said it a million times. I hope that the fan base genuinely understands how good of a player we just we just saw play. You know, I think that you know especially with with what college football is now, and and you've got the portal, you've got guys being able to leave early, guys sitting out games, things like that there's a little bit of a, there's a separation between the fans and, and really being able to latch on the players like they, like we used to be able to do. And I, I hope that people really enjoyed watching that guy play because not only did he play at a high level, he, the effort was always there. And I thought that he really represented Louisville out, out off the field extremely well, you know, and I think that stuff just gets lost sometimes, you know, and I really enjoyed the hell out of watching that guy play. Um, and I think that the work he put on, he and Yaya Diaby, and I follow these guys this past summer, just keeping up with their social media a little bit. Those guys worked hard this past offseason, kind of in a way that you felt like, man, they they saw us like, hey, this is our last chance, and they left it all out there. So I really appreciate your Sir Bula, um, because I, just as a fan, I just I love watching the guy play, uh, and I, I appreciate the fact that he put so much work in. Um, but the linebackers in general, I think one other thing is that. I, th- I felt like they finally got to a point where, kind of like the defensive line, they could play some other guys and be, and be comfortable. You know, Debo Jones, Jones essentially took Monty Montgomery's starting spot earlier in the season because Monty wasn't playing at the level he needed to. And I felt like that just clicked for Monty. You know, it was it was being able to punish guys by sitting them on the bench is the best way to punish guys because it, it's it usually it clicks and Monty came back so strong that he just ended up just taking, you know, he, he took that that starting spot back and ran with it. And, you know, those guys really played really well. I think we're going to – we're obviously going to really miss Monty. Uh, and then Debo, obviously, was the guy that was probably going to step in as well. Uh, but those guys, you know, I thought they had a really great season and Momo's such a great leader as well. So I think it hurts. Obviously, it hurts when you look at the scheme we're probably going to play next year. And just thinking how naturally we could have had Mo, uh, Monty and, and Dorian step in there. But I understand 
I think Monty might probably end up at Cincinnati, but we'll see, you know, if he doesn't want to pick up another scheme in the sixth year, I get it. But overall, like I, I will echo a lot of what Keith said. I mean, I love Yasir and Yaya as well. Um, but seeing them like set a mark after last season and then go after it and get it this past off season, um, it was awesome to watch. And you see, it's just one of the most purely disruptive players that we've had at UofL ever, you know, and, and I don't know if the fan base truly understands how awesome he was <laughs> these last two years, uh, especially this season. Um, but I think that some of what y'all are talking about is that, that distance between read and react, you know, where it, it needs to kind of be, Mm-hmm. Uh, like that and and instinctual and I think for the most part it was like that this year but when we when we had the the broken plays or the mistakes I mean that's when that hesitance comes in um, I mean I'm still I'm anxious to see what what we actually run this year but looking at what we lose in this this linebacking core between Momo Mani Yasir and Dorian Jones I mean those are the the big four from from this season and it's a lot to replace regardless if we end up running the four two five or whatever we end up running this year i mean it's going to be kind of a we've got kj cloy coming back you know we've got a few other bodies coming back but you would assume that we'll pick up another transfer or two uh and probably a little bit more impetus on maybe getting a stan Quan clark uh ready quicker than we thought i'm glad he's in early uh because we're probably going to need him uh, but overall, I was really pleased with the defense. It's it's kind of like as we go back on this defense, like the defense, everybody has a good grade, but it's like the defensive line was the best grade. The linebackers were in the middle and the DBs were were a step behind for me personally. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm going to where I'm going to grade them. But I was extremely happy with the production. We got again another uh, position group where we're looking at like 24, 25 sacks as a group. Kind of ridiculous. I think the the one knock that I have on this group is that there was not a ton of like quality depth behind them. I mean, obviously yeah. the, the the four starters. I mean, for Momo sure. Monty. I mean, they they had moments where they kind of dipped, but for the most part, throughout the season, they were fantastic. You see, her, we've already sung his praises plenty. We know what he can do. Ben Perry. I mean, he. He had a very quiet season. It was good. It was a little underrated. And then you've got Debo Jones kind of in the in the mix in the rotation um at inside linebacker. But then outside of those four to five, I mean, who who else can you say like can you can you recall from the season that you can say, Yeah, I remember he made such and such play or like he was an impact in this game. Talked about this with a couple of people when talking about the defense and linebackers, obviously right now, the kind of topic of discussion uh, and Biscuit, I was listening to you and Mark Ennis talk about that today of, of now for the considerable future until you land those guys, that's where the portal focus is for Louisville. Uh, but one Stan Quan Clark can come in and have immediate success. And I know it's I a agree. different scheme, but Dorian Etheridge led the team in tackles as a true freshman. That's the kind of case study is linebackers. As long as they're physically are ready, he comes from a very competitive football uh, part of the country. And I think he's a guy who you can count on to come in and play. But the second thing is there's two names that I just want to throw out there and they they may not end up being much more than depth guys, but there's two reasons why I think that there's more depth here than people are considering. And it's TJ Quinn, who, whenever he was out on the field, all he did was make the tackle on the first time. If you go back and you watch him this year, he was an impressive tackler for how small he is. I mean, he was a safety converted to inside linebacker. But the second one is, and I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, 
but Jack Ryger. Like, shout out to Mason. Mason called me on it. it. Like when I did the linebacker preview piece and tweeted it out, he was like, Jack Ryger's going to be a starter next year. I remember. I think that's, you know, I think that's a long shot, but I th- still think, I mean, Jack Ryger looked like he belonged against Cincinnati. I mean, you talk about the sack he had or the, you know, whatever tackle for loss they ended up calling it. I mean, he was there. He made the play. Um, so I think that them, them and then Jalen Alderman, who didn't play this year in a ton of, di- uh, you know, a ton of snaps as he did the year prior where he had the big moment. And then Jackson Hamilton, another guy who's, you know, kind of uh, one of those Satterfield recruits who was excited, uh, you know, was a high, not, not a high level guy, but you were excited about him when he came in and now he hasn't seen the field but maybe one or two times so uh, if they can add a transfer there you feel good about it but still a lot of turnover at that position losing those those big four um you know it's gonna be interesting to see i don't think anybody saw the money news coming today and then the wikipedia screenshot just hurt i mean it Dude, felt like i couldn't I, get out of here quick enough is what i so, interpreted as i don't even have time for a proper posting Oh. It was incredible to see. Like, first of all, like, it did look like everybody got caught by surprise, you know, with the player reactions and everybody. I don't think anybody saw it coming, but the fact that he tweeted out the school seal of West Virginia <laughs> University in a non-cropped screen, like phone <laughs> screenshot where you could see his battery life and two other image search results. (laughs) You didn't even have time to crop this shit. Like Monty on the next day steaming out of town. It does feel like a very Monty Montgomery thing to do though. Like 100%. Seems like a kind of guy that's just like, whatever. Yeah. Uh, And I was was like, Basically, I was listening to your conversation thinking you were talking about if he continued to do it. I'd love to just say uh, no context for each university of something that nobody else gets, but the people That's there. Right. Uh, but the other thing that was just equally as alarming was that he put, and this is so silly, but he put portal in all caps. Like, what, dude? Yeah, like, we like, did it, I'm man. in the portal. I'm in the portal. <laughs> like, oh, you all right, Monty? <laughs> Like Mark it was just, saying, like it's like he's surprised he just found out he was in the portal. It's like, wait a second. Portal? What? <laughs> Yeah, but overall, it's going to be it's going to be the position group for Louisville. You know, obviously, you only have one quarterback and there's going to be a change there, but it's going to have the most turnover out of any group. Uh, So it's going to be really interesting to see what they get last next year. And, And one guy we haven't talked about at all who could be a star in this defense, depending on what it ends up looking like is Ben Perry. I mean, from what I've read from Matt and from Keith is they have this Rover star linebacker safety. And that's a spot that when you read that, you say, well, that's a perfect fit for Ben Perry. Um, Now, I don't know what that I have not watched any Purdue games. I don't even know if I want to. The Big Ten is like my least favorite part about college football. So I'm not sure I want to go watch (laughs) Purdue and Northwestern to study. But but, you know, for the sake of the show, I might have to make that sacrifice. I think Keith and I are like the primary stickos here, because I'm sure how, how many Purdue games have we watched up to this point, Keith? I think I've made it the whole season by now. No, I've watched. I don't know. I've only done like two, so I'm, yeah. I'm way behind you guys. I think I watched one live, so that might be. <laughs> there you go. That's might be one. three total. I did watch the know, Syracuse so. game because I wanted Syracuse to oh, win you so to... bad at the time. Yeah. yeah now I'm like at the, t- at the time. Yeah. At the time, was, uh, I gotta make sure I throw that out there. Preface at the time. That's time. All right. But so it does my... feel like Ben Perry fits into that like Sam Star type uh, position in the four two five. I mean, it might yeah. be. When he when he opted back in after entering the transfer portal, I was excited about it. I like oh, yeah. I like the kids game a lot, and I think that he could be a real really good fit for this for this defense. I remember I played a lot more nickel this year, you know, with, with Trey Clark in the in the slot. Yeah. So you know, Ben Perry kind of was the odd man out, but when he was out there, I mean, he he made plays. He still he, he still showed those flashes where you can 
see how how athletic he is. And then the other thing about Ben Perry is he is huge. Like he's not a, a not big kid from a weight standpoint, but he has super long arms, big broad shoulders. Big. I mean, he's just a big, massive college football player. So I think the big thing is, you know, can he? You know, he was a safety in in, in high school. He showed some cover skills this year. Can they keep his weight down to the point where he can play that hybrid nickel safety rover kind of thing that they they roll out? And I think if he can, I think, yeah, he could be a star in this defense because he's got the talent. I think it's just really more about keeping on the field uh, as a as a as a hybrid guy as opposed to what they were doing last year where they had to take him off the field. Yeah, the thing that's a little concerning about Ben Perry is the coverage numbers targeted 21 times by opposing quarterbacks, which, you know, when you look at the top, which we're going to get into, who do you think was targeted the most here in a few seconds? And I think we all know the answer to that question, but Ben Perry targeted 21 times, 17 receptions, total of 182 yards. So he was a guy that defenses felt pretty confident that they could, or excuse me, offenses felt confident that they could throw at. But here's the other thing that, you know, more exciting, not so bad news is went back and I listened to the episode biscuit that we did before the season where we talked about the linebackers and uh-huh. Vince had a simple question is, do you have enough ass to set the edge? Is that, is that <laughs> uh, that's a requirement. Ben Perry did a good, I mean, for a guy who, as Keith said, you know, him and I are close to the same weight. And we obviously see the difference in what that looks like for him and me. But like, look Mirror, right? Yeah, right. I definitely he had enough look, ass. I don't look cool in a Louisville uniform and two sleeves and a visor. He does, right? But he did do a, jo- a good job of setting the edge when teams did inevitably say, hey, we want to test that you can, you know, go up against our offensive lineman or that you can make a play against our running back who is, you know, just going to plan to run through you. Uh, there were obviously lapses just like everybody else. But Ben Perry, I think from a run standpoint, was much better than he was from a passing standpoint. That's kind of surprising. So definitely something to watch watch moving forward uh what about grades what do we got here biscuit i'll start with you what do you got for a grade for this this linebacking core in 2022 um, i'm gonna put the the linebackers at a at a it's a borderline between a b and a b plus but i'm gonna say b plus um based on the strength of the play of the starting unit like it, it's just overall they did a good job they had a couple of poor games against the run but i mean they they overall i was really i was really pleased with linebacking play i'll, I'll, I'll give it a b plus I, I'm going to go with a B for these guys. Uh, like Matt highlighted earlier, Ben Perry had a really underrated season. I was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not ragging on Jack, but Jack wasn't the most athletic guy. Uh, and it was it was refreshing to see Ben be able to set the edge and also play decently on those passes. And I feel like a lot of that was him more second-guessing. Am I in the right spot? Am I – because Ben Perry can make any play out there on the football field at that yeah. position. I mean, he was a damn four or five star, four star safety or whatever. He can make any of those damn plays. So I feel like a lot of it was him second guessing and questioning himself. So this year, I really think is going to be the big jump year and why he came back for, you know, I mean, it's pretty, pretty easy, you know, decision if somebody says you're going to be the focal point of the defense, you know, yeah, one sure. of the focal points for sure. Matt, what do you got, man? I'm I'm actually going to go with a, a B minus. I mean, we've already talked about how great the, the starting four backers in this defense were, which they were phenomenal. There's not, I'm not taking away from them. I, I just wish there was a little bit more depth to kind of rotate guys in and out. And then there were there were times where the tackling was just awful, like god awful. I know Monty had 19 missed tackles. If I remember correctly. I know Momo had 10. Debo had 11. And yeah. It, 
this was I'm I was just sifting through some of the tackling stats. I I knew Louisville was not a great tackling team. I did not realize they were this bad because according to PFF, they had 168 missed tackles for the year. That's crazy. And you talk about, I think Keith said earlier that this was kind of what the ceiling of this defense was. I disagree with that. Not to not to disagree with the great Keith, the, the great football mind of Keith Wynn, but you wait defense, till he left before you said this. <laughs> yeah, I'm when he comes back. Jacob's like, wait, is he gone? Wait, let me tell him. Let me let me go ahead and, and get my anti-Keith stuff in. Keith, while you were gone. Shit about you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> while you were gone, Keith, I disagreed with you. Uh, oh, breaking right. news. <laughs> Uh, but I, what I was saying before I was rudely interrupted by the peanut gallery was uh, you made the comment at the beginning of the show that, that this was kind of the ceiling of what this defense was. It could be under Brian Brown. And I thought that they could have been even better. Matt mentioned a hundred and was it 68 missed tackles, Matt, on the season. Yep. You talk about numbers like that from a group that's in the top 25 in total defense, number one in sacks, tied for second in turnovers. This is why all offseason I was beating the drum of, I know that these Scott Satterfield teams of the past have done this, but this is going to be different. And it took a long time to get to it, but obviously by the end, things looked a little bit different. Now, we're going to transition here. Keith, let's get your grade first, linebackers. What did, what did you what did you grade the linebackers? Well, I think for the you know for the production standpoint, the guys that we really saw out there, that's where really what I'll grade on. Uh, I think they're a minus. I think that they had a great season. Uh, you know, you know, I think that Momo, Mani, and Yasir were kind of the key guys, and it's hard for me to say they weren't very, very good last year, or I guess this year. Yeah, and just to cap this off here, my my final grade is a B. I, I really liked the development of Debo Jones uh, and obviously the addition of Momo Sanogo. How you see Abdullah gets like a like you already bump up the letter grade by three just based off of his production alone. I would have liked to have seen more, not even from just Ben Perry, but Marvin Dallas, one of the the biggest, in my opinion, one of the guys who just didn't live up to what I thought he could have. Did been we even have a Marvin Dallas alert? This not past a single season? one. He did have one forced fumble on the year, but nothing besides mm-hmm. that on special teams. But but, uh, I just Marvin thought Dallas that, multi-pass. <laughs> Marvin Return. Dallas multi-pass. That's right. <laughs> Last from the past, man. But it's it's little things like that that prevent me from going a little bit higher in the grade. Uh, but let's talk about the secondary. And uh, basically, I think you mentioned it earlier that when you're when you're talking about the defense being the AT and T towers or your your towers. Right. Are on your phone, the lowest one of uh, is the defense uh, from the defense is the secondary, um, and they played much better. Let's start there. I think that's a good place to start. Give them a nice pat on the back before we tear them down. They played much better. They they were a huge reason from a turnover perspective that Louisville did what they did. There wasn't one guy who had six interceptions, seven interceptions. They their leader had three, but there was what? There was a total of. Four guys with two interceptions. Now, two of them were linebackers, which I guess that kind of tells you everything you need to know about the secondary. But still, these guys were out there making plays, and it was contagious at times. You did have Cottrell Clark, Rance Connor, Chandler Jones, and Josh Minkins with one pick. But they spread the, the wealth around this year compared to years past. But a lot of big plays, man, a lot of big plays. And, and the, the games you can highlight here are uh, Boston College with Zay Flowers, uh, and Josh Minkins, unfortunately, being the recipient of uh, what will be Zay Flowers' ultimate highlight tape for the NFL draft. Uh, and then, obviously, Johnny Wilson, the big guy, the tall guy uh, for Florida That's State. That's tall guy. That's tall guy. Um, those tall two guy? guys just yeah. torched Louisville. And, and from a big play perspective, 
Um, and it's a big difference between, again, those 10 wins and that eight win mark that you finish at. Uh, what did you guys think about the secondary? Were you all impressed? Was it just kind of let's they are what they are? Like, where, what were you guys thinking along the year as they did what they did? I mean, they got better, I'm, like you said, but you, especially in the first five games of the year, there wasn't arguably a bigger overall detriment, individual detriment to this team than the amount of big plays that the secondary was giving up. I remember going out of my way to write, go through the stats and write about how badly, like how, how much better this defense could have been if they just cut down a little bit on the amount of big plays that they just seemed to give up because they would – they had a pattern where they would hold serve, hold serve, hold serve, and then out of nowhere, 70-yard bomb over the top or 60-yard run right up the middle. And they finished, what, top 25 defense? They could have been top 10 if they were just average in giving up big plays to start the year. They really could have. And, there was, of course, there were the entire defense kind of shares blame for that, but it was mainly shouldered squarely on the secondary because a lot of those big plays came through the air. See, I think um, as much as any part of the defense, I think more so, this is an after BC and before BC situation where obviously we know what happened early in the season and Minkins, I mean, poor guy is going to be, they're going to watch a lot of of tape on Josh Minkins, whether they're trying to or not, um, because he's going to be in other people's highlight films. But I mean, that's Zay Flowers is Zay Flowers, but Brian Brian Brown owned that to a degree. Like, we needed to stop putting that young man on an island with Zay Flowers. <laughs> he and, was the one calling it. Don't acknowledge it and not freaking dial up something where we can match that up better. That was the dumbest shit he ever it's, the, it's ridiculous. Like, the fact that he acknowledged it post game, you're like, dude. You had the play sheet. Like, I don't know what to tell you. You've got you you have a set of freaking headphones on. But anyway, I digress. But like after that, it seemed like post BC, they got the I think Keytrail got his feet under him a little bit more as the season went on, a lot like Monty Montgomery, um, coming off injuries. And you know, there's different reports, injuries, whatever, as to why Quincy Riley or MJ Griffin weren't getting as many reps early in the season. But I think once they kind of took over the starting roles, you know, midseason and were playing the majority of the snaps, this defense was so much better off for it. Um, and you could tell down the stretch. I mean, it was like night and day uh, before uh, BC. We won't go into that abbreviation. And after BC, uh, it was as big of a, a start difference, I think, as any any position group. Well, I'll give the DB some grace. Uh, and, and the reason being is that I think that, you know, they, you know, Brian Brown and I think the fans and everybody wanted this defense to be aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. When you're aggressive, you're going to have some of these moments that just are bad. Uh, but I, I do think early in the season, we saw them leave too many guys hanging out to dry, specifically Josh Minkins, but also Kendrick <laughs> Duncan on Johnny Wilson. I mean, you're getting safeties on these speedy receivers and it's just it's just a it's not gonna work yeah. i think later in the season what we saw was them really be able to change their coverage up and do some things where you always had a safety deep but they were still be, be able to bring pressure and so you know but i think early in the season what we really saw was them you know that aggressive mindset we're gonna get after it which worked for the most part and then when it didn't it it, it didn't work it was almost like i said with, with the defensive line 
it was like, hey, it was great when it was great, and it was just really bad when it was bad. But I do think they adjusted, and that's when they started really getting after the quarterback while also being able to play safe defense in the back end. And once they did that, I think the, the secondary was great. I think they were a huge part of why they were able to really choke some teams out from a, from a yardage standpoint. And also ca- causing the turnovers they did uh, ended up being huge. And they, you know, the DBs, I think, had 11 other 15 interceptions. They had a, you know, a handful of forced fumbles. And then they also made plays, just huge plays. That was the thing. It wasn't just a, a batted ball down or getting a third down stop or, or even just getting a turnover. It was, you know, getting a pick six here and there and stuff like that. One of the things that I think that the, the defense, the secondary was really good at was getting off the field on third downs. So Louisville finished 13th in the country and stop rate. And, you know, a huge part of that was obviously getting teams in third downs and getting off the field. And we'll go back to the App State days because I, I watched all those games and a couple stats really stood out to me. And they, I think there were eight games into the season at, at this point, and this stat was thrown on the broadcast. They led the nation in three downs. And they couldn't get to the quarterback to get sacks at, at App State very well, but they pressured the quarterbacks into getting off platform, rushing throws, doing all that stuff. That's part of what we saw this year with them not just getting sacks, but they pressured quarterbacks to the point where they're throwing the ball and they're throwing away. They're, they're throwing inaccurately. Louisville only had – they weren't very good at getting PBUs. I think Jarvis Bradley had 12. I think the next closest was Quincy, Quincy Riley with maybe four. You know, so they didn't have, you know, a bunch of guys out there batting down balls. They had a bunch of pressure and quarterbacks making inaccurate throws, and they were picking off a lot of those passes as well as just getting on the field. So I think that's where they really were really good. I'm not going to grade them as hard because I do think they were part of their issues were a byproduct of the the pressure they're trying to bring. Um, so, but I do think they they could have been better, uh, obviously, especially from Quincy. The Quincy Riley actually only had two. The next one behind Brownlee was a tie between uh, Keetra Clark and Yasir Abdullah with four. Oh, surprise, surprise. Yasir pops up again. <laughs> Shocker. I, I would like to have seen this, uh, this corner group in particular just be a little bit better in man-to-man coverage. Uh, Brownlee in particular, I feel like he'd, there'd be oftentimes where – it was almost uh, like the Chandler Jones syndrome that Jacob likes to see where the P gets picked on and it's a roller coaster of how well he's playing. And I, I just want to see more consistent or wanted to see more consistency out of that. I mean, it's man-to-man coverage. That should be, I mean, if you're a DB, you should be licking your chest. If it's just straight up man-to-man coverage and there's no, no stacks or bunches or squeeze formations or anything like that. I mean, it's just you and your man. So uh, that's kind of, that's my gripe. And obviously point out, I mean, Play calling with Coach Brown, matching up a safety with a speedy slot receiver. It's, I mean, in 19, we torched his ass every freaking day of practice with Tutu Atwell on that. You'd think he'd learn his lesson from that. <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned Brownlee because I actually think that he was better than a lot of the fan base wants to think that he was. Now, granted, there were plenty of moments where he got roasted, toasted, and abused, especially in that Florida State game. But, I mean, he, he was – I guess this year's version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because he would make some amazing plays. Like I go back to, I think it was the UCF game where UCF is driving down the field towards the end. And I think, was it Brownlee? They got the interception that kind of sealed the game at the end. He, he made that play. He made a couple of really timely PBUs in the second half of the season. He he was just one of those guys where I can't, this is going to sound horrible saying it out loud, but he's the defensive version of Malik. 
the defensive version of Malik Cunningham. He's going to have some boneheaded plays, but he's going to have some really damn good ones sprinkled in between. Yeah, one I can see it. Thing, One thing to point out with DBs, and some of us are always pointing out of corners, corners get beat. I mean, it's just yeah. the way it goes. And so I do think that sometimes because of the fact they're always in the highlights, they get more heat than they probably deserve. And I'll agree with you. He had some really rough moments. He had some really good moments. Uh, you want to see him, like, kind of smooth that out a little bit. But, you know, Keely Ringo a couple weeks ago had a nightmare game in the in the playoff game. You go a few years ago, A.J. Terrell, I'll never forget Jamar Chase just absolutely roasting him, and he still goes in the first round. God, they get beat. And and sometimes, you know, it's against good players. You want to see him get beat against good players. You don't want to see him get beat against not great players and all. But, you know, I do think that that's part of that, that why that comes about is, you know, people see – a guy get beaten it's just like well he's always getting beaten like well they're throwing he's a he's a boundary corner they're gonna throw him more than everybody else yeah and therefore he's gonna be the guy that's gonna be the goat sometimes and sometimes he makes the plays but one thing no one cares when the defense gets off the field it's not a highlight you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so he can break up a pass team have tight coverage and make the forces of, of incompletion no one's gonna care he gives up the first down everyone notices and that's one thing with being a corner they talk about having a short memory and all that stuff like that that's where you you know you definitely want to see him get better at playing more consistent as opposed to you know giving up so many first downs, which was my biggest worry for him. Yeah, here's the thing, right? So everybody loved to to make fun and poke fun of Jarvis Brownlee and how much he was getting cooked, me included, right? I mean, I I was right in there in the peanut gallery at his expense because it was funny at times because the Florida State fans were like, "Yo, this is what's going to happen," and then it happened exactly how they said it was going to happen. But the guy who I feel like kind of slid under the radar in terms of um, struggles or maybe uh, taking a step back is Catrell Clark, and it's to me. One reason I'm a little worried about his draft stock once he goes through the workouts and and I'm hoping that as he gets healthier, that this will improve. But you look at his numbers. okay? this is courtesy of a PFF, courtesy of Matt McGavick. Cottrell Clark was targeted 68 times this season, second to Jarvis Brownlee, allowed 42 receptions for 426 yards and a team high seven touchdowns. That's more than Jarvis Brownlee allowed. And here's Vince, I want to ask you specifically about this. Here's what I think the difference was. And so you tell me if I'm right, if I'm wrong, uh, Brian Brown's experiment this year with the defense. And we talked about it a little bit was playing Cottrell inside versus the slot receivers in a lot of ways. Did that expose some weakness in his game? Because if you go back to pre-ACL in 2021, Matt and I, and I can remember you and I looking at the advanced numbers saying, how is this dude not an All-American? Because it was like no plays over 20-plus yards, no touchdowns, no you know, no anything. He was Jair Alexander 2.0. And then you look at these numbers, and it makes you wonder, is this injury? or What is this? Like, So what, what did you see? I, I think it's a little bit of both, a mixture of the injury and playing that uh, slot position, a position you're not really comfortable with. Uh, having two ACL surgeries myself, it's not an easy re- rehab by any means. And him, uh, I can only imagine how hard it was for him to make those choppy, quick motions that a yeah. slot receiver makes uh, within five to ten yards. And just a sudden reaction, he's going to be a click slower. He just came off ACL rehab. Uh, in my posi- in my opinion, I would have much rather seen him in his natural position where, you know, he can open his legs up and run and just kind of go. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week with Ke- with Keith Tobridge from a uh, technical standpoint with coaching uh, Keith and Dave. What we talked about was a lot of things that the average fan wouldn't look at 
ultimately kind of hurt the offense, right? One of them being too many tight ends on the field that aren't getting the football, too many players on the field that aren't complimenting the star players, not enough, enough, not enough options. I think the case here was from a coaching standpoint is why, if you're Brian Brown, why, why test that after the ACL injury, knowing what he was pre ACL that he didn't even do it then. Why make this move now when you have what we thought was a deeper room, you have Jarvis Brownlee, you have Quincy Riley and Quincy Riley, man, 33 targets to get more play. He absolutely needed I mean, to get more play. It's un, it's just it just never made sense to me. You know those kind of decisions. You know you'd think I the think data, it, the know, facts would say, let's hold off on that kind of thing until he's fully healthy. Maybe. Uh, my guess, you know, because I I wondered it during the season was just that he's he's the best option. Uh, Riley's a taller, longer guy, longer guy. Brownlee's a little bit of a taller, longer guy. Maybe they just don't. You know, maybe what they're saying in practice, but I mean that's that's hard to know because I'm not there, obviously. But that was always my assumption. Um, and yeah, he he, I think his first half of the season was much worse than the second half. I think he he finally came on a little bit. Uh, I think that's part of why he was so emotional uh, after the uh, Wake Forest game when he had his big game. I mean, I think it, I think it was, I think he really was struggling playing the game. I mean, you can see it. He was demonstrative out there. I mean, you can see it on the broadcast. He was upset after after plays. He was he, he was showing it. So yeah, I do think that was kind of part of it though. Is that maybe that was really where he was the best option there while the other guys weren't going to be able to play inside, but it's hard to know. I mean, I, I know that Quincy Riley from a speed standpoint, you know, playing the spot slot would have made sense. Um, but I think the other thing, you know, think about it this way. The defense was good. You know I mean? I, I yeah, think we're, you no. know, I think that's the hard part like, at well, this point. Yeah. You know, it's like if they were playing really poorly, yeah, like he just kind of kept deal. going with stuff that wasn't working, which we, you know, we could all point to that obviously was an issue before. I'd have a little bit more – I'd be more, maybe a little bit of heart, more, more harsh on it, but I think that once he kind of turned it around, he kind of saw it working, um, and, and, that, and that was good. But, but yeah, I think we all we all kind of saw the same things, especially in the first half of the season, that he was just getting beat. I mean, nonstop. You know, it was, it was, it was very it – was, he was always there. You know, it wasn't like he was getting smoked. He was just getting beat, you know, by those, by those few like – a yard or two here and there. Uh, and it felt like, you know, you can't help but say, man, it just feels like he's a step slow. And yeah, I think he yeah. finally kind of, kind of, you know, worked out. And that, that pick against Wake Forest, I mean, that is, that's what you expected from him, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, just jumping around and taking to the house like that. And it felt like that was just like a moment he kind of clicked for him. And maybe he finally, the injury was maybe behind him a little bit. Maybe he was a little, felt a little bit better, a little bit more healthy. Um, and yeah, I thought it was, you know, it just took a while to get through it, I guess. See, that, that was my contention all along is that Keytrail struggled early, but I thought he was much more himself once we got on that run, and he was part of the reason why. Like, it kind of everything sort of got together at the same time. You know, the the rotation made more sense. You saw more MJ Griffin. You saw Keytrail Clark play better and more like himself as opposed to how he looked in the first four or five games of the year. Um, like, in addition to just every – just like everything clicked at the same time. Um which was beautiful to see, but, but he definitely struggled early in the year more than any other corner. I thought. Yeah. Really interesting to see the, you know, from him and Monty both coming back from those ACL injuries and how it took each of them a little bit longer to the point of early on in the season, two guys that you're, you know, normally not saying, you know, we need to make a change here from, you know, go to the backup. You saw some, some of those kind of things. So just interesting. By the, by the end of the season, you're talking about that gritty from Cottrell Clark on the touchdown. I think that knee looked okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just, right. I'm just saying, just, oh, just by, based on the, the way, as, as a leader of the Quincy, Quincy Riley fan club, 
I think the reason why he wasn't playing early, hated tackling. I mean, that, that, he just was not out. He was just allaying guys left and right when he got out there early. <laughs> I think they, I think it was like, yeah, if you're not going to tackle, we're, we'll play Chandler Jones out there. They played a little yeah. bit more against Connor. Yeah, that's and, a good, uh, that's a good way to find yourself next to the coach. <laughs> man, there was a play in the Syracuse game. I was like, no, nah, man, you, you, that ain't going to work. Hey, you, you can't be out here. Just, oh, wow, I just watched it go by me. It was bad, man. All right. Oh, I remember that. I remember that now. I know which play. Yeah, and he's in the portal now, but I've got to give a shout out to two of the, the weirder plays of the season. Rance Connor getting the butt pick against, uh, was it South Florida, I think, where the ball bounced off <laughs> yeah. of the receiver's oh, tush God, I directly into that. his hand. If you remember, Presley said, if that was my tush, it would have absorbed the ball and it would have never came out. One of the greatest lines of the entire season. Uh, but then there was also, I can't remember the specifics, but there was an odd fumble that Rance Connor picked up. And I remember being like, that that play happens once for somebody to go back to back to get the butt fumble, the butt pick, and then the fumble. Just beautiful execution. Yeah, put some respect on butt fumble. Yeah. Yeah, don't say that. You know, we know where that is. <laughs> Are you fingers crossed over here for Lamar? Man, like it's funny, just as a little aside, like I when when he got drafted. I didn't want the Jets to draft him because I didn't want them to ruin him. You know, That's like fair. I didn't trust the front office. I didn't trust the coaching staff. But now I'm in a weird place where I trust the coaching staff and I, well, I trust the head coach. They don't have an offensive staff right now. I trust the GM and they have all this young offensive talent around them that I feel like Lamar could be just fire to a fuse, you know, in, in New York. And I would, I don't really know how I would handle it if that actually happened. I'd probably pass out and die, <laughs> but. Yeah, I want him out of Baltimore, I'll tell you that much. All right, introducing yeah. soon the Jets podcast on the State of Louisville Podcast <laughs> Network hosted by Dave Skull. That's right. That's right. Jet up with Dave Skull. Yeah, right. it's crazy. There we go. Growing up, my best friend was a huge Jets fan. So I I remember the days of Chad Pennington and Vinny Testaverde oh, yeah. and then, you know, Brett Favre and all those mixed in. So I – Well, I can tell you that arguably Chad Pennington might be the best quarterback the Jets have ever had, really. That's my that's my franchise. So there you go. <laughs> Joe, Joe Namath right. is a Hall of Famer, but Joe Namath had more interceptions than touchdowns in his career. He had one great moment. Ken O'Brien was good. We've had one quarterback throw for thirty touchdowns in a year, and that was Ryan Fitz, Ryan Fitzpatrick. So they put yeah. some respect on Fitzmagic's name. <laughs> I love Fitzmagic, but the last year he was in New York, he was Fitz tragic. So I don't really. You know. <laughs> All right, from a grades perspective for the secondary, we'll wrap up the show here with that. I mean, I don't think we can. We can you guys made me feel a lot better about the secondary, so I'm going I know, to see I changed my, uh, I changed my, my grade. grade. I had a D initially, and Keith was like, you know, we shouldn't hate on him that much. So you talked about it, Keith. You, you but see, Keith is a nice teacher, and McGavick is over here like a half a letter grade lower than everybody on every position. Right, he's the good angel on my shoulder. Just to, It's okay. Right. It's okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm the voice of reason. I, I guess I'm the voice of hateration. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> hateration. That's a haterade over there. Yeah. I'm going to go with a C. And I, it was a C minus, but but Keith Ooh. also about my grade up. But um, just a lot of room for improvement. Now, look, they were, you know, Josh Minkins is only, what, a red shirt sophomore freshman. He's only really played one year of heavy football. So you can kind of give him a pass. But um, early it was ugly. They caught up late. Jarvis Brownlee made plays when you needed him to. They they um, they certainly could have played worse. So I guess that the, that's how we'll grade this team and we'll give them a C. <laughs> oh, you guys are, are, are graders. Yeah. I, 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 I give them a B. And honestly, the only reason I give them a B and not a higher grade 
is that it took them so long to get to the point of having MJ Griffin out there to to show up their tackling. Uh, because Ken Derek Duncan at, at one point had more missed tackles in the Florida State game than any other player had in the entire country at that point in the season. I mean, <laughs> I missed that. 11 tackles in one game. I mean, I don't know how you can – you can't – you know, you can't not – I mean, if, like I said, I'm, I'm trying not – I'm trying – I don't want to, like, grade the entire group of guys that didn't even play, but he was a starter for most for half a season, and he was a weak link on the, on the team. Um, you know, that's and I think crazy. that's where – for me, the tackling was the biggest issue. I actually think Josh Miggins was pretty good this year. You know, he just has those – the highlight plays are the ones that people remember, but there's some other plays where he he was pretty good in coverage, playing against tight ends and slots and things like that, where I thought he played pretty well. He had a forced fumble against Boston College, I think. It was really nice. So, I think, you know, the corners, I think, were good. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm actually kind of frustrated that Rance Conner hit the portal so quickly because I thought he was going to be a guy that can maybe take that next step forward and maybe take over a slot spot, but it is what it is. And But I think that MJ Griffin coming on and being the guy that he was, the second half, those, the secondary was good, in my opinion. Like, just flat out good. I thought they played really well. Uh, but the first half, before everyone was out there to shore things up for that entire group, it felt like, they were they were pretty bad. So, to me, I, I give them a B. Um, I, I, I couldn't go less than that, but I think that if they were to play like they did maybe – the last half of the season, you know, post post BC or whatever it may be, uh, the entire season, you give them a good grade, but you can't ignore those first five games of the season when they play forward. Yeah, I mean, if we stop this thing at, at the BC game, I might have given them a C minus or a D, but my, my season grade is a B minus, mostly because of the things I talked about earlier. I mean, I think there was a kind of a, a, a they worked out the rotation. Keith just said, like, we saw a lot more MJ Griffin in the second half of the year. Uh, I mean, can Derek Duncan just had, an issue, had issues in the first half of the year? He didn't look like the same player. Um, well, we got to remember Quincy, last season he was hurt as well at the end of the, at the Air Force game with his hip, too. So that could have been. Yeah, which makes play. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah we're talking about like Keetrell Clark not coming back from his injury all the way and maybe being a little until about halfway through the year. I mean, it's probably fair to say the same thing about Duncan. Um, but the combination of, of Keytrail playing better in the second half and Quincy Riley getting more reps and NJ Griffin being a bigger part of the secondary in the second half, I think all kind of added together uh, to pull the, the play up. And obviously everything's complimentary and the kind of pressure that the front was getting is a, is a big part of making the secondary look better too. But I still give them a B minus for the year. I think they're not quite as tragic as, as, as made out to be, or at least as they looked in the first couple of games. I'm I'm going to give them a C plus for just basically the the reasons that both uh, Biscuit and Keith went over. It's it's hard to really ignore how bad they were in those first five games, but then things kind of clicked across the board over those those final seven games. Now I I, I still would have loved to see Quincy Riley a lot more because he's he's too good. In, in cover skills wise, now obviously we know the tackling there was kind of hit or miss, especially towards <laughs> the beginning of the season. But the, the, just going off cover skills alone, like he he deserved to see more playing time on the field. But I, I assume he's going to get plenty of that next year. But no, I, I'm going to go C plus, kind of split down the middle. Yeah, really bad first half, pretty good second half. And I don't want to like uh, obviously yardage is not the best measure of a defense at all. But when we're talking about the pure numbers. I think Louisville ended up top 25 in pass defense, you know, in 11th in scoring defense. You know, it's it's uh, 
it's hard to ignore the the pure numbers. They don't tell the whole story, but you combine that with the turnovers and, and the big plays, and it tells some of the story. I think one thing, and I'll point this out, and I think one thing that we saw with the defense that you know I think those grades kind of showed it for everybody. This was a team defense that worked so well together to get everything done, and and that's where you look at third downs, and obviously we saw all this pressure up front and whatnot. You go, you know, when you go back and watch those games, they were key, they were covering guys to a point where quarterbacks had to eat the ball a lot. It wasn't like, you know, everyone knew the pressure's coming. They showed it every game. They showed it nonstop. But quarterbacks had nobody to find, and that's where I think that changed. You know, people ask me a lot, oh, what changed? And I get all the people telling me that Scott Satterfield ran the defense after the Boston College game. Oh, that's the best one. Someday that'll stop <laughs> happening. That's my favorite. It's, 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 it's mad. That's my favorite. He oh, completely man. took the deep defense. Uh, it's insane, you know, but but they also hate him too. So, of course, it's like, yeah, it makes no sense. All you have to but, say is I'm going to pay more attention to the defense. And people are like, man, this guy's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think one thing they were able to do is they really – they put it all together in a way that I thought was so good. I, it's all about your pressure has a match your coverage, your coverage has a match your pressure. And watching that happen on a defense is just so much fun. I mean, that's where you look at the top defenses, the – the, you know, the, the Alabamas, the Georgias and all that and whatnot, they just stifle everything you want to do. And I thought that was so much fun to watch from this defense, to see them put it together after the years of them never getting it all on the same page at the same time. Uh, to me, man, it was just so much fun. Hopefully we get to see that continue with the players they have playing in this type of defense. Hopefully that bleeds over the next year, even though the scheme changes. Complimentary football. There you go. That's right. For the last three years, we watched a defense that uh, week by week, one group would stand out and the others would would fade away. Uh, and ultimately, it cost Scott Satterfield a lot of goodwill with his fan base, Brian Brown the same way. Um, it led, led to a lot of losses. Uh, but it was great in what was, again, as I mentioned, the, the swan song for Scott Satterfield and Brian Brown to see that defense kind of finally get back to being one of the best that we've seen in really the last 10 years. I mean, we, we watched a lot of bad defense for a long time. Um, and so it was great to see kind of uh, to kind of wrap this up. Here's here's the big story of how this all played together. Uh, you heard us last week talk about the offense really struggled. It was an offense that was led by the running attack. What carried this football team to eight wins was the defense. And every single way you look at this, yes, the offense made plays. Yes, they scored touchdowns when they needed to. They got big plays from Jawar Jordan and all those guys, Malik Cunningham. But this defense was led by a group that could get after the quarterback who could force turnovers. And you're going to win a lot of games as long as you can do that. Um, and so it was great to see. But here's how it relates to 2023. We don't really know what we're going to get next year. We might be going back into uh, the defense that's not so desirable. It's going to take a couple of years when you're rebounding from losses like Yasir Abdullah, Yaya Diaby. Those guys don't uh, they they don't just come you know every single year. Now it's going to be exciting to see defensive linemen who aren't being recruited in at you know what six three two hundred and sixty pounds. We're going to get back to some meaty linemen and seeing some more aggressive football up front. But it's certainly going to be a scheme change, and it's uh, I think in year one it could be the weak point of Louisville's uh, the team to the point of we're back to where we were. The offense is going to win you football games, and while that's a lot of fun, it it certainly will add some hair some gray hair to your scalp. No, and thing. I. Expect that, yeah. <laughs> offense, offense sells tickets. Defense wins championships. Can't I like them both. I, I, that's right. <laughs> I would love to see more winning football next year. With an, uh, at least, hopefully, we can get after the quarterback. 
Uh, and I can tell you one thing for sure. We will crown a new sack king in 2023. Jacob's sack update will return, and we will continue to count the sacks <laughs> week in and week out because you can expect that from us here. Alan, put that on a shirt. <laughs> Jacob's sack right. update. My, my mom is going to tell Jacob me. Jacob's sack on a shirt. Update. I mean, Jacob's sack update on a shirt. Sorry. That's right. Oh, man. Well, that's going to do it for us here tonight on From the Pink Jacob Seats watches podcast. the sacks. <laughs> Sorry, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is what you this is what you get when you tune in here. Absolutely love this. You're gonna get a Don't lot. Don't invite of me unless football. you want this kind of bullshit, buddy. I just think it's funny that for the second year in a row, we've invited a former offensive lineman to break down the defense. I, it's fine. It's uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not nearly as important as like a Keith Tobridge. So you know he's 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 way more legitimate than I am. So that's what you said about Jake Smith last time. I, I feel He's bad. I'm right. Come on. Hey, how, can you, how, can you, how can you disagree with me? Like I was a walk-on. I played for a year. I was like really close to good football players. I wasn't one myself. Hey, you know, I got, they I got say to see him up close. Rub shoulders and you'll, that's you'll what start pissing excellence, man. As long as you rub shoulders, you're going to be all right. Dave Skull, Keith Wynn, Carter Chronicle 93.9 ESPN Louisville. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been a blast. And let me just say one more thing before we get out of here. This is – I don't have a drink that I can pour because my wife would be very upset. This is a cranberry vodka that would make my table very sticky. But I would pour one out for one Cameron Teague because this is our first offseason recap where he has not joined us. Uh, And it is great to have Dave here. Dave, you have been a great friend of the show. But CJ was a was a staple of this show for the first three years in, in its infancy. So, Mr. T, you got to watch national championship caliber football. We miss you, but we certainly understand that you upgraded and that uh, you left us in the dust <laughs> to watch the Louisville football. Uh, we love Cam T, man. He did such a good job on the Louisville beat while he was that's here. That's right. That's right, man. He is he has definitely uh, been. I think he was for a while the longest running recurring guest. Keith Wynn now owns that, and I and I say this every time. We ha- we've had, I think, Keith on seven or eight times, and they are probably <laughs> out of our top 15 episodes. Those eight episodes live in the top 15. So Keith, it, Keith does numbers, man. That's that's what I love to love to hear. Dave, some people just show up, but then they're Dave, like BBC. Now, now he's, he's going to be like, man, y'all only invite me when y'all's numbers are low. Right. <laughs> I'm, excited. I'm excited to ride yeah. Keith's to- coattails to the top 15. Yeah, here. yeah I, well, you say that, and and not to toot our own horn, but we are coming off the best month in show history. So a little nice. tap on our own back there. But, uh, you, you know, you know, Keith is just – you're right. Keith is our Keith is our tight end, right? Last week, Keith Tobridge explained the tight end is the security blanket. Keith Wynn is our security blanket. That's what there you go. Here, man. So, People love listening to Keith talk about football, man. That's right. Man, man. knows I what he's talking about. all the time. I tell him that, but, uh, you know it, – it's amazing when you actually watch film and and break it down and stuff it's a lot better than just shooting off at the mouth you know and and just saying things look i feel like you're calling me out man no (laughs) not even a little bit are you kidding me like who do you think i watch like i i I watch the game i watch it with an analytical eye and then i'll watch for the next week though i'll watch keats breakdowns of the opponents you know to get an idea what i'm looking at yeah, here's one thing. We've lived next to each other now for five, six years, and we have never once watched a game together. And I think it's because the universe would explode if we did. I think that the two of us, it would be Keith very relaxed, and me, Vince, would tell you, I'm not the greatest to watch a person with because I'm here. It's this <laughs> the whole put, time. If you put a plate of that, that Keith barbecue in front of me, I'm mm. probably going to sit down and shut up and watch a game. 
I think Keith and I only watched one game together, and it was Syracuse, Lamar, Lamar's infamous Syracuse game. We watched that yeah. together in Joe's basement. Yeah, so what tell. you're saying that is you guys need to watch party. more games together. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah, well, that's right. I'll take, take more of those games. Year. That's right. Well, hey. 2023 is going to be fun. Uh, excited to talk about that all offseason. I thank these guys again for tuning in. Make sure you're following them, listening to the radio show when Dave is on. Uh, and, of course, checking out the great work of Keith Wynn on Card Chronicle. Um, tune in next week. We, we've got some great guests in store. I can't tell you who that is right now because they're not both booked, but there will be great guests in store for you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.